Welcome to this episode of Horrific History and Hauntings. I'm Beth. And I'm Ramey. We're your hosts, here to talk about the stories that the history books ignore. From horrific epidemics and ghostly hauntings to the catastrophes and tragic events that have sickened humanity. This is an episode we kind of planned because we have a trip planned in the future, so I know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's part of the reason that we decided to choose September as a Appalachian-themed month. I like this subject because if you've played Fallout 76, I mean, Mothman has a, a part to play in it. We like to look at Mothman stuff. and uh, Take spontaneous trips just to take a picture with the statue. Yeah, we took a random trip to the <laughs> Mothman Museum months and months, or a year ago or so. And with Bethesda just releasing Starfield, I've been on a Bethesda kick until it came out. So I was playing Fallout. Oh, yeah. Joey downloaded that and was playing it. Well, obviously, we're talking about the Mothman. We've already mentioned that. Yes. A few interesting things to start off before we go into it too far is during the initial time of the Mothman sightings, many UFO sightings in the Tri-County area were reported. I don't know if I'd ever heard that before, but when I read this book, I completely forgot about that. Residents claim to have seen unexplainable flying objects and strange bright lights in the sky. That does sound like a UFO. All those hearings a month or two ago. Many believe the Mothman and UFO sightings being reported close together in these close areas was not a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah. There were so many reports of UFOs that they couldn't be ignored, and they appeared pretty much daily in the local papers. It's UAP now, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Oh, why'd they change it? I guess UFO has like a bad reputation. You say that and you're automatically crazy. Many pictures of newspaper clippings and letters and notes and just pictures in general about this can be found in the book Mothman the Facts Behind the Legend Expanded Edition. I don't know if it's in the regular edition because I read the expanded edition. Which is only Amazon Kindle. And if you have Kindle Unlimited you can download it and read it for free or you can purchase it for $9.95 on the Kindle. It's by Donnie Sturgeon Jr. and we'll have a link in the description below. Affiliate link. Yes, so it's an affiliate link. If you actually do buy it, it will help the show out. It yeah. won't charge you anymore, but it'll help us. Yes. It is also on Amazon. The paperback is $18.60. The same link will take you to the same site. You just pick which version you like. Yeah. And if I say the expanded edition was better, well, I would assume better and is definitely worth it because... Like I said, it has the pictures of the letters, the notes, the newspaper clippings, which there were a lot of. I haven't read it because I didn't want to spoil it. That's how the show works. <laughs> well, after the show, you should read it because there's a lot more information in the book, as always, that I just could not I have mean, the time for. <laughs> we didn't hire you to read the book oh. on the show. <laughs> Going into the history of Point Pleasant, it's obviously in West Virginia, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It's named after Camp Point Pleasant, which was established by General Andrew Lewis in 1774. It's where the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers meet. I did not know that. I just knew we were on the Ohio. Yeah, that's all I knew too. Where the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers meet is the location of one of the bloodiest battles that was fought between indigenous Americans and white settlers. It lasted 24 hours in October 1774. I want to say it was October 15th. 1774, but I'm not sure. I know it was in October 1774, though. Okay. Andrew Lewis's 1,100 men defeated indigenous Americans led by Shawnee Chieftain Cornstalk. This caused a war in the frontier. Probably wasn't a fair fight to start off with, so. No. It prevented an alliance between 
the British and the indigenous Americans, which, if I'm not mistaken, I read that that really helped in the Revolutionary War. Otherwise, it could have turned out differently. But I don't know. Early in 1774, a group of settlers murdered a friendly Mingo chief's entire family. Wow. Minjo? Mingo? I'm going to say Mingo. I'm assuming that's how that's Apologies right. if we get it wrong. We get everybody's name wrong. It's not just you. Apologize. And if you would like to respectfully let us know in an email, I will give the email out later. You can. Obviously upset by this, Logan the chief led his tribe to seek revenge. He took... 30 white scalps, and prisoners just himself. September 1774, Lord Dunmore, the governor of Virginia, signed peace treaties with the Delaware and Six Nations of the Iroquois in Pittsburgh. Then he went down the Ohio River to battle the Shawnee tribe. Cornstalk, the Shawnees, allied with Logan's Mingo. This part kind of confused me, but I felt like it was important to mention that I've been short on time where I started college as well, so I haven't really had time to look into more detailed things to figure it out. So you're just going by what the book says? Yeah. This is all a prelude anyway to the Mothman, so... Well, yeah. But this is supposed to be the history of Point Pleasant. Yeah. And why it may be cursed. As I said before, this battle took 24 hours. By the end of the battle, 230 indigenous Americans were wounded or killed. And over 50 Virginians lost their lives. Doesn't sound like the odds were evened out there. Mm -mm, Not at all. Some believe that Chief Cornstalk uttered a curse for the area, which was Point Pleasant, to be stricken with hard times and sorrow for what they had done to his people before he died. Couldn't really blame him. No, no, not at all. I don't blame him not one bit. The curse was rumored to last 200 years, and some believe the curse may be what caused the Mothman and the disasters in the area. Well, I guess disaster. I don't know if there's multiple disasters or not. I mean, there's been a lot of death. Yeah. Now I'm going to go into the TNT area, which I didn't know about. We have that on our list, the visiting area. Good, because I didn't know about that. And then they were talking about igloos, and I had to research that because I'm like, there are no igloos in West Virginia. That's ice. (laughs) It's not. Let me go into it. It's actually quite interesting. The McClintic Wildlife Area was the location of the first Mothman sighting in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, or so it's thought to be. It's mostly used for public hunting, fishing, and camping now. It's also known as the TNT area. This is because during World War II, more than 8,000 acres were devoted to an ammunition manufacturing facility. TNT igloos are scattered about the area. Explosives were stored in bunkers, which are what these igloos are. (laughs) I'm sorry. The idea of igloos. TNT storage. I've never heard them called igloos. (laughs) I never did either. I would suggest looking up the pictures of the TNT igloos. The way they're curved and shaped, that's probably why they call them igloos. Oh, it's exactly why, but I've never... (laughs) They're not made from ice, though. (laughs) They're located about six miles north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. They're made of steel-reinforced concrete with ventilation shafts atop them. They were covered with dirt and grass that was planted on top to camouflage the igloos from... Enemies that would be flying above them. There's Messerschmitts. They have massive steel doors that are capable of withstanding blasts by bombs. From Messerschmitts. Hmm? The Messerschmitt BF-109, the German planes. This was World War II, right? Yeah. Okay, then yeah, the Messerschmitts. Uh, Really, Hmm. they were more fighters, but sure, I'll say Messerschmitt. In May 2010, one of the igloos containing 20,000 pounds of unstable material exploded. So much for the igloos. No one was injured. 
Good job, igloos. Yeah. In the 80s, it was discovered that land was severely contaminated by explosives byproducts. I don't know how that could have happened. Yeah. Darn igloos. All their fault. It was added to a federal list of hazardous waste sites eligible for cleanup. I'm glad we put it on our visit list. <laughs> I feel like it's probably okay by now. Hopefully. Part of the government EPA description of the area said, and I'm not going to read all of this, it is an 8,200-acre site used by the Army from 1942 to 1945 to produce TNT. Soils around the operation's industrial area, process facilities, and industrial wastewater disposal system were contaminated with the TNT explosive, its byproducts, and asbestos. Then I'm going to skip ahead, like I said. In 1981, redwater seepage was observed near Pond 13 on the Wildlife Station. And redwater seepage is liquid waste produced during the TNT manufacturing process. I see redwater seepage around places where it's like rust. Mm -hmm. Then it went on to say, EPA and state investigations revealed that the groundwater and surface water were contaminated with explosive nitroaromatics. Berry lines associated with TNT manufacturing contained some crystalline TNT. Crystalline? Crystalline. Was that? Crystal? Crystallized? Yeah. I don't usually play with TNT, so I don't know. You seem like the type to have crystals. No, not really. After World War II, sections of the TNT area were sold or leased to different companies. One was the study of biochemistry. Many tests have been run on the area in the search for contaminants in the soil and water. And reports released by the EPA said groundwater seepage soils and the surface water on site are contaminated with explosive nitroaromatic compounds, including TNT, Lord help me, trinitro, <laughs> trinitrobenzene. Trinitrobenzene? I don't know what that is. Trinitrobenzene. Do you know what that is? We don't want to be looking up chemicals explosive material on the Google. <laughs> Why not? You already got the 1-800 help needed. Yeah, from all the poison Whatever. stuff we've looked up. Yeah. And Denitrono. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What's that one? Denitrotoline. I don't know what it is either. From former site operations, as well as metals, including arsenic, lead. Oh, we got those. And beryllium. Oh, I've heard of beryllium. I think they dropped beryllium on Chernobyl when it went wrong. Yeah. Visitors to the area may be exposed to contaminants by direct contact with or accidental ingestion of contaminant surface water or soils. Best not to be drinking the water or eating the dirt. No. <laughs> The shallow groundwater has been shown to be contaminated and is moving toward nearby private residents with wells. That's not great. It goes on to say that no nitroaromatics were found in the 13 local water supply wells, but sewer lines, open manholes, and pits may contain active wastes. They are sewer lines, so they hold more than that. <laughs> the EPA began to clean up and release the cleaning process which I'm not going to read, but it can be found in the book that was written by Donnie Sargent Jr. If you would like to look into that. Also, further information concerning this can also be found by going to the United States Environmental Protection Agency's website. Actually, a pretty good place. Mm. A lot of the government sites are fun in their own way, they oddly are. enough. They are. They don't look fun, but if you actually go into reading them, they are interesting. 
The book said this information was taken from the public EPA website on July 31st, 2001. So it is possible that this information could have changed in the, that amount of time. Yeah, like 21 years. Yes. <laughs> now we're moving on to the Silver Bridge disaster. No, I don't know about that one. It was a suspension bridge built in 1928 over the Ohio River. It was designed by J.E. Greiner? Grenier. Grenier? Greiner Company. It was built by Gallia County, Ohio River Bridge Company, which was later known as West Virginia, Ohio Bridge Company. It was 102 feet above the bottom of the Ohio River Channel, and it was completed in one year and opened to traffic on Memorial Day in 1928. It connected Point Pleasant, West Virginia to Gallipolis, Ohio? Gallipolis, Ohio. I'm sure we could ask somebody while we're there and they'll tell us what it's called. Just take the whole iPad. Can you say this, 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 this? <laughs> oh, uh, don't forget this. Can you pronounce this also? <laughs> I'm sure you've got something in the mail about this in their water recently. <laughs> <laughs> a new type of carbon steel was developed for the construction of the bridge. On December 15, 1967, at around 5 p.m., witnesses recall a loud gunshot-like noise and, in quotations, folding like a deck of cards in less than 20 seconds. The entire 1,460-foot suspended portion of the Silver Bridge collapsed into the river, taking with it 32 vehicles and 46 victims. Just before Christmas. It also had a description as it fell in a domino-effective fashion, which I like that description better. Two of the 46 victims' bodies were never found. It was first thought that the bridge's supports had been hit by a barge, and then it was also believed to have been all the holiday traffic on it, all at the same time? That makes more sense. The bridge stood for 41 years. The Army Corps... Army Corps of Engineers? Yeah, Army Corps of Engineers. I knew that without even looking. Ain't that good? Because they would be the only people that have anything to do with this. Yes. Pulled the metal pieces from the river to investigate. April 6, 1971, the safety board determined that the cause of the collapse was a cleavage fracture in the lower limb of the eye of eye bar 330 at joint C13N of the north eye bar suspension chain in the Ohio side span. I have no idea what any of that means because when it was when I was in middle school and we had that little shop where you went around and did different things, I didn't get the chance to do the bridge one. I don't know what any of that means. I did forensics, and I'm glad I did because I don't think any of that would sound interesting to me. The fracture was caused by the development of a critical size flaw over 40-year lifespan of the structure as the result of the joint action of stress corrosion and corrosion fatigue. That makes sense. Pretty much, I want to say it wasn't, that particular part was not made correctly and had a flaw to begin with from the moment it was made. The Silver Bridge disaster prompted U.S. government to create a national bridge inspection program. It's a good thing they did that. Yeah, I feel like that should have happened beforehand, but it's okay. At least it, at least something good, I'm hoping, came out of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, a program to keep track of our bridges' stability. <laughs> you never know how important it is until the bridge collapse. Now we're going to move on to some of the sightings about the Mothman events in that time. Linda Scarberry was said to be the first person to see the Mothman. Good old Linda. Yep. Donnie Sergeant Jr., the author of the book I mentioned before, interviewed the original person, Linda, who was said to have witnessed the Mothman. Her current name 
was withheld for her own privacy. Okay. Yeah. Some assumed she was on drugs or alcohol at the time she witnessed the Mothman. When she was asked about this, she said she was not and explained that nobody in the car had drugs or alcohol at the time. She said it was around 11.30 p.m. on November 15, 1966, and it was a cold and clear night. She described the Mothman as being seven feet tall, wings visible on its back, and the tips of the wings could be seen above its shoulders, and described the color of the wings as ashen white, and that they looked like angel wings. I would be absolutely terrified. What is ashen white? Like a, I would almost call it a gray. Uh, she's the only one that I could find that explained it as having white wings. She said the body was slender and muscular and built like a man, and it was flesh-colored, which I've also not heard that from anybody else either. My first thought wouldn't be a mothman. I would think of an angel. Yeah, and this is how she described the face. Its face couldn't be seen because the eyes simply hypnotized you. You didn't have to look directly into them. If you looked close to its face, your eyes were just drawn to its eyes. It had a hypnotic effect. Yeah. That I've actually heard from many of the witnesses. The car had got to the top of the hill in the TNT area when the headlights made the Mothman visible. It looked directly at them as if it was afraid. And then they noticed that one of its wings was caught in a god wire near the power plant and that it was pulling on its wing with its hands, which she described it as having big hands. When it finally got its wing loose, it ran into the power plant. Run? She said ran. Okay. Linda and the people that she was with went to the police about a half an hour after the first sighting because it was following them. It was sitting in various places on Route 62 toward Point Pleasant. They saw it sitting in various places once they reached the town as well. But eventually, once they realized how scared they were and realized that they were not on drugs or drunk, they started to believe. I can understand why you wouldn't believe them, but you should still go check it out to see what's up. Because you never know. Even if it's just a person in a costume, you should probably check it out. When they first left the TNT area, it was sitting on a sign, and when the headlights shone on it, it flew quickly straight up. Then it followed them and hit the top of the car two or three times, and she claimed that they were driving about 100 miles per hour at that point. I would be concerned at that point. I wouldn't want to be in the car. (laughs) Just let me go with the Mothman. The last place it was seen by them was sitting on top of a flood wall. It was crouched down with its arms and wings around its legs. Its wings were tucked behind its back. Sounds adorable. Mm, It really does. And the one on Fallout 76 is, it's like a big fluffy puppy. Well, they don't look like a puppy, but it looks like a a flying gerbil. Big red eyes. Red if it's mad at you. Linda says she had seen the Mothman after that several times. And about a month after the first sighting, she looked out her window and saw it sitting on the roof close to the window. She explained as having, I guess, one of those little portions that come out of a house where you can look out the window and see the roof. I forgot what they're called. But The wings were folded around itself and arms around its legs. She described this as if it looked like it was trying to keep warm. Oh. I would invite it in. Yeah. I'd have to. Come on in, little buddy. Or big buddy. The head was turned sideways looking through the window, and she described it as if it looked curious. At this point, she didn't believe it was going to hurt her. She mostly believed it was curious and sometimes afraid, which makes me feel bad for it. She also explained the UFO reports that were happening at the same time. And 
she mentioned mysterious men in black around the area as well and said that the reports about them were a lot less frequent. Some of her theories about the Mothman was that maybe it was from another planet and maybe it was sent as a distraction from other things such as the UFO sightings or the men in black. I thought it was just a movie and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Oh, and she also at one point described it as being lonely, oh. which is really sad. I want to bring it home. Linda claimed to have seen a UFO as well. Her description was, it looked like a blooming rose. It was all different colors, like the petals were coming out in all directions. Wow. She also said the colors were nothing like we had, that they were much brighter and more beautiful. That's an odd way of putting it. She's seen colors that most people don't see. Yeah. She believed the U.S. government was involved in a cover-up. She doesn't believe that the Mothman caused the bridge to fall and said if people saw it when the bridge fell, I would say that the men in black had something to do with it and that it was drawing everyone's attention away from whatever they were doing. Which I also want to say that people said they saw men in black after the bridge collapsed around the area. Yeah. So, I don't know. When asked if she believed the Mothman was staying in the TNT igloos, she said she didn't believe that it was. She thought it was in... I wouldn't want to stay in them either. <laughs> they randomly explode. And they're full of chemicals. They could be <laughs> maybe the Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, maybe it's like Godzilla mutation. Yeah. Man and a moth got together in an igloo. Anyway, she believed it was in caves behind the igloos where someone she knew claimed to have seen it there a few times. The sightings began to slow down after the Silver Bridge disaster. She also explained the men in black as wearing black suits, black hats, sunglasses, and that they had abnormally pale skin. That's creepy. Yeah. And that they also drove around in black vehicles. She believed they were after the babies or the children. That's even more alarming? Yeah. Yeah, it is. She said that one of the men in black came into her home and pretty much was just didn't say anything, was just staring at her baby. And I don't know why, if it was just shock, if that would have happened, I'm going to be like, what the hell are you doing in my house? Knock, at least. She said she had a crucifix that was hanging above her baby's crib. And when he noticed that, it scared him away. And her baby was five months old at the time. Okay, that is so bizarre. It's bizarre that you didn't go after him. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I don't mean to judge because I honestly, who knows what you would do in that situation until you're in that situation. I'd be concerned about the chemicals in my drinks. <laughs> but she also said that her aunt explained a dream she had had right after, like came out and explained a dream, which was exactly what she had claimed happened, that she dreamed this man came into the home and was after the baby. She believes the government wanted attention to be taken away from the TNT area for some reason. Probably because it's poisoning them all. <laughs> it's probably an explanation. That's one for sure. Kind of a side off topic thing. A tractor and trailer driver explained that he saw the Mothman fly around the front of his truck during this time. But when he checked, he couldn't find it. Mary Heyer was a woman that seemed to know a lot of information about the Men in Black, UFOs, and Mothman. And it's believed that she worked for the paper or news. She said that the Men in Black that came into her office picked up common objects such as a pencil and studied them as if they didn't know what they were. Which she thought was an indication that they were from the government or 
not from the government or this planet. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the government have no idea what these non-government <laughs> issue pencils are. Um, are they communists? We might want to see about this. Everybody was hunting for them. I want to say that this Mary person died early or went missing. I'm not sure, but I want to say that was in the book. I want to say she died. Some said that when talking to someone they believed they knew and looked like the person they knew, they could tell it was, in fact, not that person at all. And it was believed that it was the men in black. One in particular about this, there is a paranormal investigator and he would come from New York to Point Pleasant and would investigate the Mothman and the UFOs and all of that, the men in black. These people said that it was him. It looked like him, but it wasn't him. And then when they would talk to him, they would realize it was not him. The fact that he was, I guess, nosing around trying to figure it out makes it really weird. Yeah, I, I, I get that. That it was mostly him that that happened. Some notes taken by Linda's mother, Mabel McDaniel. I'm only going to read a couple of them, but there was a lot more in the book. September 18th, 1877. Winged human form sighted over Brooklyn, New York. And then 1915 to 1917, she had it written down that witnesses saw white-winged human form in the skies over Portugal. And it was described as being headless, which that one describes what her daughter described more than what other people after have described. Yeah. Not saying that the other people would be lying, because who knows if any of it is actually true. Or there's two. Or they're completely different things, because some people say it looks more like a bat. I've heard it look like a giant bird, a condor, stuff like that. Yeah. Mr. Kill, the paranormal investigator from New York I was talking about earlier. The suspicious dude. Who was investigating the Mothman and Everybody UFOs was... and Men in Black and all that. And he was accused of being one. <laughs> well, I think they were accusing them of impersonating him. Yeah. He wrote in one of his letters, I would like to know what kind of waste chemicals the plantasote plant is dumping in the Ohio River and how often they dump chemicals there. This would be an important lead. I meant to look up the plantasote, if I'm pronouncing that right, plant, but I didn't have time to do so. I've watched the movie The Mothman Prophecies, mm -hmm. and they it basically is just a recreation of these events. I believe is a little bit more of a modern time, though, not taking place in the, what is it, 60s? Yeah. So it's a modern style of the same story. The plant comes up into it as well. That's so the, I need to watch that. Some more that he had wrote. Also, I'm interested in knowing if the experimental farm used any form of radioactive isotopes in their work or any special chemicals, which I also wanted to research the experimental farm because I didn't know what that was either. But again, not enough time. Yeah. Author Donnie Sergeant Jr. also interviewed John Kill. He mentioned the men in black taking photos of people, especially of the children. That's creepy. Yeah. I don't know if this was an alien thing or not. If that was really happening. Yeah, I'd have reported that. But yeah. nowadays, that would be taken very seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Men in Black also would sometimes pursue kids coming home from school. Now, get this. A friend of Kiel's said that he lived near a school where kids would walk. He said that a black Cadillac kept pulling up to his kids and kept trying to get the kids into the car. This was happening at the same time as the Mothman and UFO sightings in Point Pleasant, but it took place in New Jersey. I just thought that part was interesting. That's all I have for today. Okay. Well, I did learn a lot more from it <laughs> than I ever knew.
I like the igloos. Uh, yeah. I love the igloos. See, I, I don't do as much research into these things, even though I like the subjects. It was nice to learn about the the fact that they were igloos. And the men in black. Yeah, I did not I know. I did not know that at all. I thought that was just a made-up movie, but yeah, apparently not. Apparently the movie was based on something. I don't think the men in black part comes up at all in the Mothman Prophecies movie. Well, it did say they were not reported as much. That's true. We'll add the link to the book in the description, and we'll add, I'll see if I can find a Kindle Unlimited trial membership link to add in there. It's really worth it. Oh, yeah. No matter what kind of books you like to read. And you don't have to have really a Kindle. You can it. use it on your iPad, your Samsung, or your whatever phone, phone tablet, whatever or, you want to read it on. Yeah. Any links in there will be affiliate link. We'll also add a Prime subscription or a Prime video subscription link down there so you can watch The Mothman of Point Pleasant, which is a free documentary if you have Prime on Prime Video. Also, The Mothman Legacy, which is another free documentary. I have watched that one. Not bad. And if you want to buy or rent The Mothman Prophecy's actual movie, it'll be in there as well for Prime Video. If you see a Mothman, let him inside. From what I understand, he's lonely and he's confused and cold. And Mothy. And gets his wings stuck and stuff. You can email me to let me know how to pronounce all this stuff and all these names at horrifichistory.hauntings at gmail.com. Or if you have any ideas for future episodes you would like to hear, because I'm always happy to have ideas and suggestions. Also, we have a YouTube account. We'll add the link to the description of this episode and the link to our website if you want to just listen to the podcast normally. We have two other podcasts, one called uh, Brother Knows Quest. It's a podcast where I talk about tabletop role-playing games. And I have a podcast with my friend Dakota where I talk about video games. It's called Leveling Duo. If you want to find those, they'll all be in the link under the website or YouTube. I've been Ramey. And I'm Beth. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.